Welcome back to the Bold Choice Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Morrell. It is a rainy day here in Vancouver, BC, on the traditional territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 15. I have a jam-packed episode for you once again with loads of sports talk, as well as my bold choices of the week. So to start it off, the Vancouver Canucks, they've been busy this past week, but they've hit a major roadblock after a few months of immense improvement Three straight losses, and now the playoff picture is slowly becoming out of reach. So I'll discuss where they're at, because the playoffs, they're not impossible, but there's a lot of work to be done. And I'll talk about where they fit in the playoff picture, as well as what's been happening around the Canucks with the trade deadline as they made a handful of moves. My second segment will be the well-awaited return of a segment that I think will be quite popular for the next little while, especially during the summer, as the boys of summer return. It involves the return of one of my co-hosts, a very good friend of mine. He knows a lot about this sport, and he has immense knowledge. He'll be sharing his analysis, his predictions, and it's very good to have him back on the podcast. And lastly, as you already know, the third and final segment of each episode is my bold choices of the week. I'll continue with the rapid-fire questions because it gives me a chance to talk about things that are happening around the world, things that are talking about here and Vancouver and in Canada as well as what's going on in my life things that you want to know about me where I'm at in my life so I can answer all that with a little rapid fire spend a few minutes on each question and go from there so without further ado let's get right to it Welcome back to the podcast. We have the Bold Choice Blue Line where we talk about the Canucks and hockey. And this point of the season is very intense. It's dramatic. There's a lot of things happening at once. With the Vancouver Canucks, they are still in a fight for a playoff spot. It hasn't gotten easier, especially as they've lost three games in a row. They played against Detroit on Thursday the 17th. They lost one nothing, and that was a game that I think popped the balloon, um, if you want to call it that, because that was a game we could have won. Detroit is not, you know, a star-studded team. They're a young team that has gotten better, and they are on the path to being a good team in the future. But that was a winnable game for the Canucks. We then play a Saturday night game against Calgary, who had just lost the night before against Buffalo. So you expect Calgary to be, you know, slow and kind of jet-lagged. That was far from the case because Calgary beat us 5-2, which makes it even more difficult for the Canucks because we lost with division rival, a team that we beat pretty badly um, the last time we played against them. And we fell even further from where we wanted to be. You know, we were so close to making the playoffs we are I think a point or two points out and we're chasing teams that you know are either leapfrogging us or have you kind of fallen from grace we're seeing teams like Dallas the LA Kings obviously Vegas has kind of free fallen Edmonton is is going up and down every now and then but we need to kind of catch these teams and, and losing games and losing points doesn't help our case. 
The Sunday game against Buffalo was expected to be a bounce-back game for us. We we knew that it would be the last game before the trade deadline. We knew that there's a lot of you know ro- rumors floating around, and, and there was a lot of uncertainty around who would stay and who would go. For a team that's p- kind of pushing for a playoff spot, you don't expect a lot of a lot of big moves, especially players going out. But this team is is very confusing because they're a team that can push for a playoff spot, and they certainly are. But they're also a team that isn't quite up to the standards of a playoff team. And there's a lot of kind of flaws in this team that need to be fixed in the offseason. Um, and there's a lot of kind of issues with certain players and contracts that you kind of need to examine whether we keep them or we part with them and get assets back because we don't want to go through a long rebuild like we've gone through in the past eight years it wasn't called a rebuild but it's been a rebuild because we've struggled we've been at the bottom of the league for for many seasons we need to be able to bounce back and we don't have the prospect pool to to show um and that makes this season all the more confusing because Yes, we might make the playoffs, but at what cost, right? If if we can get a lottery pick, that helps us greatly. And I think that's where fans are often clashing because we want to see the playoffs. We want to see, you know, the young guys on our team go through that playoff experience. Even if it means being swept or losing in the first round, that's experience, right? And missing out on the playoffs isn't what we wanted. And I think that's also sets a bad example. Um, and we, we have players that are very passionate, guys like JT Miller, who, who want to be on a playoff team, who want to see us go far, yet we're so far away from being one of those playoff contenders. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot that we have to do. Uh, obviously, we have a game um, against Colorado. I record this on a Wednesday. So the game against Colorado is tonight. Um, but by the time this is out, you already know the result of that game. We also played Minnesota and Dallas. So these are teams that we're battling against, and it will be an uphill climb. And it's not impossible. It's just not as likely for us to make the playoffs. If if we end up going undefeated and making the playoffs, then you know I'll be damned. You know I I'd I'd love to see the playoffs again. Um, I kind of want to see you know, the city experience all that again and kind of go through that playoff fever that we all love when we make the playoffs. Um, But overall, you know, this team, despite their resurgence in the past few months, like I said, there are still a lot of flaws that need to be fixed in the offseason. And the saying is, you can't put a small band-aid over a big hole and expect it to be fixed because that's where we're at. You know, there's a lot of things that we need to kind of improve on we need more depth in, and there's a lot of questions that this team will have to look at in the offseason. Um, the trade deadline came on Monday, and there were a series of moves that the Canucks made that weren't that big in the grand scheme of things, but do have an effect on where we are this season and next season. Tyler Mott, a fan favorite, a guy I've talked about many times in this podcast, was traded to the Rangers as the Rangers pretty much go all in for a Stanley Cup push because Tyler Mott was a guy that I think was given an extended look, obviously playing with Matthew Highmore and Yoho Lamico. 
that was a great checking line that got not only a lot of, you know, checking and a lot of pressure, but it got offensive opportunities. And I think Mott's had that kind of resurgence. Matthew Highmore, Yohal Amico have have benefited from it. And Tyler Mott was going to get a big pay raise in the offseason. Whether it be from the Canucks or another team, I don't know. But I think where Mott was at and where the Canucks are at, they were both at different spots. And I think that's what led to Mott being dealt to the Rangers. Obviously, there's a chance he can re-sign with the Canucks in the offseason. That's happened in the league before. It's not, you know, it's not something that happens a whole lot. But it is something that might work if Mott wanted to come back to Vancouver because he's kind of found Vancouver to be his home. We welcomed him with open arms. He's been an ambassador for our community, for the team, for mental health. He's been a guy that a lot of fans have, have come to know and love. And I think that's what makes parting with Tyler Mott so difficult is that, you know, he's not a guy who played in the minors. He's a guy who played hard for us. Even when we were losing, you know, 5 nothing in some games, he was still battling hard and, and fighting for the puck and getting in the corners and, and doing all those little things that really makes him such a hard worker and such a fan favorite. So Tyler Mott sent to the Rangers for a 2023 fourth round pick. You know, the return isn't the best, especially with what the market was kind of putting out there. You know, there are players like Nick Delorier going for a third round pick. So we easily could have gotten a third round pick. But I think, you know, with where the Rangers were at, they said, here, we'll give you a 2023 20, fourth. And the Canucks... They got something instead of nothing. And I think that's better than losing him in free agency, um, where that has backfired for us immensely in losing to Foley and losing Markstrom and Tanev and Stetcher, just not you know communicating with them and telling them what the plan is in, in keeping them or letting them go, um, where we could have gotten assets for them um, if we traded them. But we got something out of Tyler Mott. Obviously, we wish the best for him in, in New York and hope that you know the Rangers have a good playoff push and and maybe win a cup uh, I know Tyler Mott is a great hard worker and Rangers fans will love him the other moves that the Canucks made weren't as big either but in a sense it's an improvement because we traded Travis Hamnick to Ottawa for a third round pick which surprised a lot of people Canucks fans Senators fans people around the NHL because to trade Travis Hamnick, who's a bottom-pairing defenseman with a $3 million cap hit, or something along the lines of that, to Ottawa, which you know has the cap space, um, was surprising. And to get a third-round pick out of it and not have to take any money back from Hamnick's contract was an absolute win. So a lot of people were ecstatic that it happened. And at the same time, there were discussions that Travis Dermott of the Maple Leafs was, you know, being shopped to a Western Conference team. A lot of people saw Vancouver as an ideal location for him. Um, you know, a young team with, you know, a glaring need on defense. And we sent a third-round pick to Toronto for Travis Dermott. And I think he's going to be a good player for us. He has a lot of energy. He's young. He kind of fits where we're at in this not necessarily rebuild, but where we're at in this roster construction. He's under contract for another season, so we get to see him this season and perhaps throughout most of next season. And we get to see what he's made of because he wasn't getting the opportunity in Toronto. Obviously, getting a guy like Mark Giordano kind of pushes Dermot out of the lineup, and 
he's a guy that should be playing. So I think he'll fit in with the team. He's young. He's already had a good impression on his teammates and coaches. Um, and with the media as well, he seems to be a guy with a lot of energy. Uh, and seeing him play with Brad Hunt or whoever else is on that bottom pairing, I think that, that'll be interesting to see how it, how it works out because he can play the left and right side. Um, and that's kind of uh, a versatile tool to have in, in having someone who can play both ways. He can put him on the penalty kill or, or any situation you need him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's made of and how he does with the team, how he fits in the Canucks future. Uh, if he has someone worth keeping on a bottom pair on a cheap contract, I think that's something to look at. But overall, you know, it's been a eventful trade deadline. Um, the Canucks didn't make a major move by sending JT Miller or Connor Garland or Brock Bezer away, which could end up happening in the offseason. We don't know. But our main task right now is just focusing on the rest of the season. We have a lot of games to be played in the remainder of this month and in April. So our playoff future really lies in our hands. We can't be losing games that we should be winning you know if we're out shooting a team um we should be getting goals and i think that's been the part that's been frustrating is that we have the offensive potential we have guys who can score who can make you know great passes and 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 kind of generate offense but it just hadn't been happening especially in those three games in the past week so here's to hoping that this this next stretch of games ends up being a, a little bit more prosperous that we get some wins and points and kind of keeps us in the playoff hunt but we'll we'll see where we're at in the next time i speak to you but that's been the bull choice blue line we have a big segment coming up next that you'll want to hear especially if you're a baseball fan so stay tuned for that Welcome back to the Bold Choice Podcast. I am back with the return of a popular segment that we had back in December. So it's been a while. It is the Bold Choice Bullpen with Max Galaducci. Welcome back, Max. I'm so glad to be back. I'm excited for the season. Glad to record. Yeah, good timing too. We were worried that we wouldn't be able to record a segment with the lockout, but it finally came to an end and baseball is back in session. Oh yeah, that was that was definitely a lot. Just watching every watching those two sides just argue for a couple months was very very interesting specifically because of the fact that like we didn't have that much baseball in 2020 and it feel felt like the popularity of the game was just coming right back and then there was a bit of worry that we wouldn't even have a season at some point so the fact that we're getting 162 is something i'm very grateful for exactly and, and i think you 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 kind of did a good job in acknowledging that 2020 was a shortened season. So if we wanted to grow the game of baseball, I think having a lockout and, and losing games uh, would have done a lot of harm. So getting a full 162 and, and getting the owners and players kind of agreeing on the season and on a new CBA, that, that really helps. So kudos to them. Uh, so 
we got a few things to talk about. Obviously, we just kind of covered the lockout, which we kind of want to put in the back mirror. But spring training is in session. Um, what are your thoughts on spring training, especially for the Jays? So far, I thought that everyone pretty much looks good. Springer had his first game yesterday on, uh, I want to say Tuesday was yesterday. And he went two for three. Bichette went two for three. Uh, Guerrero went three for three. Vigio went two for two. Everyone's looking pretty good. Um, Brios has had a little bit of a struggle so far, but that spring training is to get out, it's to work out all the kinks while you still can. And honestly, I've liked what I've seen from Kikuchi so far as well. So hopefully this is a sign of good things to come. Um, there's been a couple injury scares with specifically Teoscar Hernandez, but he should be ready in a few weeks. Uh, Matt Chapman got spiked yesterday. That happens. It's baseball. Yeah. Um, but I think that moving forward, the Blue Jays team is going to be really good and spring training is looking solid so far. And I think that's the importance of spring training. It's like, we yes, we get a chance to see our new acquisitions, but at the same time, we get a chance to see younger players who who, who may end up being a key part of this team uh, at some point, maybe this season or next season. Um, and it's a good chance to kind of give people uh, a chance just to see the different players, not just the stars, but everybody else on the roster and kind of give those players a chance to maybe show management that they deserve a spot on the opening roster. Um, in regards to some offseason moves, obviously, when we talked about it back in December, we lost Robbie Ray uh, and Marcus Simeon, but we made a big acquisition. Um, think a few days ago i'd say monday uh matt chapman added to the blue jays what are your thoughts on that i love him it's a solid trade um he's probably one if not the one of the best defenders in baseball he's won two platinum gloves and every year he's had an ops plus of uh, above league average or at league average so you're you uh, you acquire him for his glove and anything his bat brings is just extra and even though he just batted league average last year, he hit 27 home runs. And if you put, if you pencil him in your six hole, he's going to bring you a lot of, he's going to bring a lot of um, offense out of the six hole, a lot more than what you're going to get from most of their teams. Exactly. And I think obviously the presence in the lineup is a, a big factor. Um, they just extended him to, I think it was a two-year contract extension. So that's huge and he he seems to want to be in Toronto obviously we have a good thing going we have a good nucleus of young players so adding Chapman to the mix definitely increases our our chances because we weren't that far off from the playoffs as we sadly remember we we were very close so I think adding Chapman and getting that stability kind of helps obviously there were rumors for Ramirez and then there were a lot of other players that were attached to the Jays. Are there any other players that you think we should be going after, or do you think it's kind of done? I think that they just kind of need to round out the edges, maybe bring in a couple guys on minor league deals and some players who haven't signed to teams yet. But I think that they have four solid outfielders. They have five five plus solid infielders, three solid catchers, and they have a lot of pitching. Like you can never have too much pitching. So that's why I hope that they'll add another one or two minor league deals right there. Uh, a couple guys you can call from AAA, but at the way that it stands right now, this is a solid first place team from what I'm, from what I'm gathering. And yes, I might have a bit of Blue Jays bias in there, but <laughs> my God, are they good? Yeah. And I think just looking at that Blue Jays rotation with Ryu, Barrios, Gelsman, Manoa, and now Kikuchi, that is a very deep rotation where in past season, it's kind of been an issue for us where we've had to, 
pick up maybe a depth pitcher, but now we have five strong uh, starting pitchers in our rotation and our bullpen, which has also been an issue for past seasons, seems to be a little bit more stable. Um, for sure. I think when I think when fans, especially fans on Twitter, talk about like, oh, the Blue Jays aren't going to be as good as they were last year. Like they lost Simeon, they lost Ray. Well, I mean, they picked up Gosman. And if you look at this rotation from the start of 2021 to the start of 2022, like last year, their one-two punch was Ryu and Ray, and no one knew what Ray was going to be at the start of last year, and yet they almost made the playoffs. So now their their bullpen is in much better shape. Their pitching is in much better shape. Their lineup is pretty much around where it was last season. So I think that they're going to make a solid push this year, barring barring any major injuries or barring many major injuries, which is obviously a huge caveat, but every team it's a risk for every team like look at what happened to the dodgers last june like they were pretty much throwing out their triple a team out there every day last june and yet they still made the playoffs and i think um with the jays like they're a good team like their major league roster is very good um and obviously there is like room for improvement like you said there's a few more pieces they can add to the puzzle but an, an interesting thing that i also saw was that our prospect pool is also just as good with Gabriel Moreno or Elvis Martinez. Like there's a lot of good young players who can easily contribute to this Jays lineup this year or next year. And I think that's an exciting um, aspect to have as a Jays fan where we have, you know, a good nucleus right now and in years to come, we're just as good. So I think we're in a good position. I really think that management has done a good job in building that prospect pool, which gives us a chance to even catch Vancouver Canadians games because there are, a few big name players that we can end up watching that might be on the Jays roster in years to come. Um, oh yeah. I'm definitely going to try and catch a couple of those games this year. Absolutely. I think that's, that's something exciting to see, you know, baseball in Vancouver again, obviously with the pandemic, there hasn't been that opportunity. And now with, you know, our, I guess our love of the game, maybe having grown more, I think that's a great opportunity to have. Um, well, that's also, that's also not to mention the fact that like, uh, three years ago, the Vancouver Canadians were a low A minor league team, but now they're high A. Like exactly. these are players that the Blue Jays are trying to showcase, or not necessarily showcase, but trying to develop to the next level. Like this is one level below Double A, exactly. which is arguably the highest level of development for players. So when the Canadians got promoted to high A, like we didn't really get a chance to see them last year, and this yeah. year they're actually going to be playing in Vancouver at the Net. Yeah. So I think that it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, I do have a question for you, though. Um, as Moreno makes his way through the minor leagues, um, what do you think is going to happen to the trio of catchers they currently have? Like, Jansen's arguably the best catcher in the AL East right now, like, certainly defensively. And who knows, maybe we'll see a bit of an offensive outbreak from him this year. But they have three pretty solid guys they can throw out there every day. And with the development of Moreno, like, there's not, there's going to be at least one odd man out. Like, what do you think about that? I think right now, so the interesting thing is, like you said, um, Moreno is a fast developer. I think he's really showcased his talents, especially over the winter. Um, what I've seen in different trade rumors and, and kind of hypothetical trades, everyone's been throwing out Kirk's name, Alejandro Kirk. Uh, he was, you know, a promising player um, and he's still, you know, young. Um, he has a lot of years old. Exactly. So he, you know, he is maybe that name that some teams might want if they're looking to trade. And I think 
in getting a guy like Jose Ramirez, for example, Alejandro Kirk would likely be that guy because I don't want the Jays to sacrifice Gabriel Moreno, but that is, you know, sometimes the price to pay if you want a big name player. Um, so I, I feel like at some point Kirk might be the odd man out, uh, but there is, you know, chance that Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire are sent in trades or, or, or something. So I don't know what management will do um, if they if they fully believe that Gabriel Moreno is ready for the MLB at maybe late this year as a September call up, then we'll have to see what they do at the trade deadline. But right now, I think having, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a, a three headed monster of, of sorts, but having the depth that they have right now at catcher is is good. And I think it'll work itself out at some point with with trade or w- with something. So we'll have to see where that goes but that is a good question i think we haven't had that kind of depth at catcher in a, in a long while so we'll see how they do especially with with who gets that starting role certainly not in my recent memory at all though like exactly when do we do have like four major league ready catchers yeah no one has that the Blues no are the that. team that has that. and i feel like that can also play itself if there's an injury in spring training or early in the season if um a team is desperate for a catcher then yeah we do have a few names that we can we can possibly give up if the price is right, but mm-hmm. I think it's 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 a it's a blessing and a curse, more so a blessing at this point. I could not agree more. Um, and kind of going with the depth chart, are what 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 are your thoughts on the outfield and kind of the the infield? Do you think that they're they're kind of set? Obviously, Vlad is at that first base position. Um, which position do you think needs a little bit of improvement? In the infield? Infield or outfield? Infield or outfield. Well, I mean, I could not think of a single position right now that needs, well, at face value, like obviously they're looking perfect. It's like yeah. really looking perfect. Like they have two serviceable second basemen and yeah. every other position in the field is completely taken care of. Yeah. Um, however, things get a little bit murky when injuries happen, and injuries will happen. Yeah. But I mean, we've seen this spring that they do have guys in AAA that they could call up and could be of use. And if Springer gets injured, which history indicates that he he probably will for 30, 40 games this year, <laughs> I hope that he I hope that he gets to play 120, 130 games this year. Um, you have Gritchick, and Gritchick is someone that I think a lot of people sleep on. I think that people often forget that, you know, he still hits like 25, 30 home runs every season, exactly. even if it, even if he barely gets on base at all. Like, he's kind of like the opposite of what Billy Bean wants in Moneyball. He just – all he does is hit home runs and plays the outfield and doesn't provide much other value with his bat. But he still is a – he's probably like one of the best number four outfielders to have in the game, especially when you have – like the three-headed monster that is Springer, Gurriel, and Teoscar Hernandez, all of whom are hitting in the top five of your order. So I think that they're fine there. And when it comes to the infield, like if Chapman gets injured, you have Biggio, you have Espinal. I would prefer Espinal over there because Biggio has proven to be a better second baseman and Espinal has proven to be a better third baseman. If you have Ischette, same thing. You can put Espinal over there. Second base. I mean, Espinal is kind of a jack of all trades and so is Biggio. He can play all four infield positions in all four outfield positions um 
with the exception of first base with Espinola, you have two guys who are pretty much Marwin Gonzalez out there. Just you can, they can roam the infield, they can roam the outfield. And if Vladdy gets injured, you have a pretty interesting young dude and Greg Bird, who's like 29, 30. And he kind of reminds me of Chris Colabello back in 2015. Like this guy could actually make an impact on this team this year. I think that he will come up and be on the opening day roster. I think that they'll utilize him at first base and DH as much as they could whenever they want to give Vladdy a day off at first. And he's a good left-handed bench bat. And I think they're pretty interested to see what they have with him. Yeah, and I think uh, you kind of mentioned it with Bird and even Colabello back uh, back then. Having those versatile players, or you can kind of call them Swiss Army Knife players because you can put them anywhere. And I think that adds you know a lot of... Um, that adds a lot of value to the team because you can put somebody in case of an emergency or in case of injury, you can put them pretty much anywhere. And I think that's a good luxury to have. So Greg Bird will be a name to watch. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of, you know, their, their triple A team, they have solid depth there as well. Uh, as far as what, what I remember, they have Josh Palacios, who I think will be, you know, that, that first outfielder to be called up um, if there is a major injury. But overall, I think the Jays, they've done a remarkable job in kind of assembling this roster, keeping the core intact. And I think right now they, they just need to win. This is the time. And uh, I don't see, I don't really see um, much issue in terms of struggle. I think they have a good enough team to win games. They have a good rotation. They have a good offense. So I think everything's in place for them to win. And that kind of leads me to my next, next question, which we've kind of discussed already. What are your four or five major predictions for the Jays this season? Well, first off, I think they're going to win the AL East. <laughs> I think that they're going to go 99 and 63, and they're going to improve eight games from what they did last year. I mean, I would love for them to win 100. I'm yeah. trying to be a <laughs> yeah. bit more conservative with my thoughts there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think that they're going to finish at the top of the AL East. Um, when you look at what the other – ALA's teams have done this offseason. Like, not to knock the Orioles, but they're not going to make the playoffs. Like, they have some very interesting young talent that I actually look forward to watching. Some of the interesting young talent as the years progress, but they're not ready yet. Um, the Yankees have barely done anything this offseason. They traded for a, a familiar face in Josh Donaldson, which is was one of the most head-scratching yeah. acquisitions of the offseason, for sure. Um, the Red Sox, I think that they're a bit more scary than they were a week ago when they acquired Trevor Story. I think that guy is going to turn a lot of heads, especially now that he's out of Coors Field, and I think he's going to hit a lot better outside of Coors than now that he's not having to shift altitudes every week. Yeah. And the Rays are the Rays. They're going to finish first or second every season, and no one knows how. <laughs> um, I'm not a sabermetrics expert. I'm not an expert on anything. So I think that the Rays are probably going to finish somewhere up there, but I, I think that the Blue Jays with the depth that they have in their lineup and their bullpen, which is a lot better than it was at the start of 2021 and the rotation that's a lot better than it was at the start of 2021 is going to propel them to the top of the division. Um, my next prediction is that Vladdy Springer, Brios and Chapman all make the all-star game. I know that in the grand scheme of things, the all-star game doesn't really matter that much. I really hope Vladdy chooses to not do the home run derby because I'm a firm believer that the home run derby messes up your swing for the rest of the season. Um, I don't know how much weight that argument holds, but all it, I, I just remember Jose Bautista doing it and not really being the same after for the rest of the season. Yeah. Like probably like nine years ago or something like that. And 
I think that all four of those guys are really going to make an impact on the Blue Jays this year. Like Chapman's glove is going to be unreal. I think Springer is going to be healthy for most of the season and will provide that like Houston Astros number one batter, top of the order guy that gets on base and hits 35 home runs. Like people forget that he only played 79 games last year and hit to a 900 OPS. That's insane. That is quite a, that, that is a large OPS, especially for the fact that he hit 22 home runs in that, in less than half a season. Mm-hmm. If he had played a full season, he was on pace for 44 home runs. And I think people often forget that when it comes to Springer. Like people are so ready to write off Springer and specifically Ryu, but two guys who had a bit of a down year who have a way better proven track record than what their, what, what last year suggests. And my third prediction is that Vladdy replicate replicates sorry his production with a similar ops plus i don't know if he'll do better but i think that he'll give similar production which is absolutely amazing um and for uh for the a at least i have the jays finishing first the rays and the red sox finishing second and third and they both make the playoffs with the expanded playoffs the yankees finish fourth and they miss out on the playoffs and the orioles finish fifth okay i like those um so kind of to go over what what I predicted, um, I have the Jays at a 94 and 68 record, which still becomes uh, first in the AL East. I think uh, with Tampa, New York, Yankees, and Boston Red Sox, there's going to be a lot of competition for that second seed. And I think the Yankees, from what I've read, do they do have some issues in regards to um, unvaccinated players? I don't know how much that'll play into the season but that is something that could be a bit of concern and could play a factor in Boston and Tampa Bay, possibly uh, leapfrogging the Yankees in the standings Um, to go over players that I have making the all-star game. Vladdy, of course, George Springer, I think will have an amazing year if he can stay healthy. And you kind of touched on that with how he was still on pace for 44 home runs. If he played a full season, that's the reason why we acquired him. He's a solid player, especially having at the top of the lineup. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have a dominant year. We're going to get the George Springer that we all expected when we signed. Jose Barrios, I think, will have a great season. Um, just the small glimpse we had from last season, uh, I was already impressed. I think he's a remarkable addition to the team. I think it caught a lot of people off guard as well when we acquired him. Um, so having him for a full season, I think, will be amazing. Um, I think Jordan Romano, um, he had a good season. And I think getting a full season out of him as uh, our closer, um, that could be something. We haven't had like a remarkable closer in, in quite a while. Um, I kind of remember the last time we had one. But uh, Bo Bouchette is my, my last all-star. Um, so I think... Don't, don't, don't forget that Ken Giles had a pretty, pretty good season back in 2019. That is true. Even before Ken Giles, though, I don't know. Like, it's always been a revolving door of closers. Like, they're just kind of putting people in there to see if it works. Ken Giles mm-hmm. was good. Um, so thank you for, for reminding me. Um, my next prediction, Vladi will have a better season than he had last year. And he had a great season. I think it was 48 home runs. So I think he will top the 50 home run plateau or mark. Um, and he will win the AL MVP. Sorry to all the Shohei Otani fans, but I think this might be the year for Vladi. He's slimmer. I think he has a lot of confidence in himself, and that can be very dangerous for opposing pitchers because I want to see Vladi hit that 50 home run mark because I think he's going to be a guy that 
hits that mark every year. And he's still young. He still has a lot of um, room to grow as a hitter, um, which is even scarier because if he can hit more than 50 home runs every season, that's going to be amazing for us. Um, that's in terms of offense. In terms of pitching, I think we kind of touched on it. The Jays have a very deep rotation. Um, and I think that will be something that a lot of people will focus on. And I think when it all comes to an end, uh, you know, at the end of the season, hopefully we look back on the season and see that the Jays had the best rotation in baseball because adding Kevin Gausman, um, that's a, a huge addition. Uh, Jose Barrios getting a full season. And we, we all forget about Ryu. He's a guy that can be a very dominant pitcher and he has had his injury concerns. Um, but I think this season may be the season for him to kind of bounce back. So having those guys and Manoa uh, will be a huge factor in our success because we can't always rely on our offense to, to score, you know, five plus runs a game. Sometimes our pitching has to do it for us. So I think that'll be one thing. And in fitting with my bold choice theme, I think the Jays will make a repeat of the 92 World Series where the Jays will face off against the defending champs, the Atlanta Braves, and the World Series is heading back to Canada. That's my bold choice prediction. I, I, ju I just had to add it in there. That's a very, very, very bold choice. <laughs> might, might as um, well. I'm not sure if this one specifically is their year. I'm thinking more 2023 World Series champions, but I think that they'll definitely make – the playoffs this year for sure i yeah. sure hope so if they don't make the playoffs i'll be very very sad i mean i know that you talk about the canucks a lot on this podcast and mm -hmm. i feel very bad because they just they lost three straight games and then they mm -hmm. just sent off their players yeah i think we, we need some good news for a sports team so hopefully the jays give, give <laughs> us that but um we we still have about what maybe two more weeks until opening day i i don't know the exact date Sounds like a good time for the next episode. I think so. So we'll have you back in two weeks to give our, our thoughts on how the spring training ended up and what our predictions and analysis will be for the opening day and opening week. But thank you so much for hopping on here. Glad to have you back as the co-host of the Bold Choice Bullpen. We'll be having you on throughout the season with your insight and analysis. Thank you very much for hopping on here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, if you want to hear me talk about baseball more, I also talk about baseball with my friend uh, Liam Jeffrey on my other podcast along the Fraser River if you're interested and um, yeah if you like human geography and transit and all that other Vancouver stuff same podcast um, yeah I'd love to be on and enjoy talking about the Blue Jays with you Adrian thanks so much that's been the end of the Bold Choice Bullpen I'll see you in the next segment Welcome back to the podcast. We are in our third and final segment, which means it is the bold choice of the week. As we've done in the past few weeks, I'll continue on with our rapid fire segment where I answer questions about things that are happening in the world, things happening in sports, pop culture, even things that you want to know more about me. So the first little segment or discussion is about what's happening in the world that I think 
many of you are are well aware of, and that's the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Um, it's very sad to see, you know, what's unfolded in Ukraine um, in the past, I don't know, month, month and a half. Uh, to put it in simple terms, there's been tension between Ukraine and Russia for centuries. Um, there was a bit of a conflict, I think 2013 or 2014, where there was, you know, the threat of a Russian invasion, but nothing really amounted to that like it has now. Ukraine obviously was a part of the Soviet Union um, until, I think, 1991, and it's now a democracy. And the main, I guess, rationale that Vladimir Putin is, is following is that he wants to rebuild what was known as the Russian Empire. And it's his attempt at kind of redrawing the map of Europe to how he sees fits. Um, he wants Russia to be bigger and better than ever. And by invading Ukraine, an an innocent country, I don't know, you know, what that represents. Uh, but it's it's unfortunate. And we've seen, you know, how European countries uh, have really rallied around Ukraine and in, in, in fighting against Russia. President Zelensky himself, you see the press conferences, how tired and and just mentally drained he is from from all of this. He's the leader of this country. He needs to be the one to speak up for the Ukrainians, and he has. And I think it's inspiring. And Ukrainians, they're not taking no for an answer. They're fighting back. They want to keep what's theirs. And the scary part about it is that everybody kind of alluded to this as being the beginning of World War Three, And of, of course, where we are right now, nothing major has happened. It's just been, you know, minor boycotts of Russian products, but no international country has really joined in because they don't want to get their hands tied in this. And we don't want, you know, a, a full-out global war, right? We don't want a, a repeat of, of what happened, you know, centuries ago. Um, and, you know, what, what I said about the boycotts, you know, we've seen it in kind of different industries, obviously sports, you know, Russians have been banned from different sporting events, like the world cup, like the Olympics, like, um, in just a, a lot of different sporting events, you know, Russians aren't being allowed. And many have argued that it's unfair to Russian athletes, right? Where, they're being punished for something that their leader has has done. And, you know, there's that whole debate of whether, you know, it's it's fair or not. Um, because maybe they don't even support what Putin and, and Russians have done, right? And we've seen athletes in the major sporting leagues like Alex Ovechkin, who has a picture of, of himself and Putin and, uh, as his profile picture on Instagram, and it hasn't been changed. And we know that he is very supportive of Putin. And the media has asked him, and... He's basically said, you know, he doesn't want a war. And that's kind of the default answer you're going to get from from Russian athletes. Because if you say anything against Putin or the government, your family is going to be in jeopardy. And I think that's something that a lot of Russian athletes are, are kind of taking into consideration. It's like, yeah, they don't want a war. They don't like seeing people hurt like this. But their their lives and their family's lives are at risk as well if they speak up on it. So there's that. And then even in minor things like, you know, kind of banning Russian goods. I know 
you know, liquor stores in Canada, especially in BC, have banned and, and kind of removed Russian alcoholic products from the retail stores. Um, and just like other things uh, besides uh, liquor, where Russia is kind of being now, I guess, penalized for what they've done. And I think more sanctions will, will follow. But it is very, you know, sad to see what's what's happened, obviously seeing, you know, videos of the explosions and seeing, you know, how these people are kind of living their lives in, in fear. And no one deserves to live through that. And it kind of goes to, you know, how other countries, you know, have, have kind of stepped up to help Ukraine. You know, they're taking Ukrainian refugees and, and keeping them safe in their countries. And we all hope that there's a peaceful answer to this um we don't want to see a war we don't want to see you know more casualties and more pain we just want to see peace and I, I sincerely hope that that is in fact what what is to come um my next topic uh kind of less sad and controversial but also controversial in a sense daylight savings uh just happened this past weekend um daylight savings is basically the time shift uh, to maximize the limited daylight hours, which gives us more sunlight in our days. Um, so there's basically two times where our clocks change throughout the year. Once in the spring where we spring forward, we move up an hour. And then again in the late fall where we fall back an hour. So we get an extra hour of sleep. But a lot of people, you know, are kind of over it because when you get back that hour of sleep, it's already dark at 4 p.m., especially in Canada, B.C., and I know in Ontario, I've seen videos and pictures how people are just miserable, and it kind of factors into that seasonal depression where there's nothing to do. You know, you go to school, you go to work, you come home, and it's dark. You have no motivation to go out, and, you know, you can't really do much because it's dark and it's, it's getting colder. But in the spring, you know, when you get that extra hour of sunlight, it does a lot of good because you can stay out later. And as we see... In the summer, when its sunsets pretty late, you know, it, it keeps people happy. It gets, you know, the opportunity to socialize and have fun and kind of enjoy their day. Um, and it's controversial also because of the health a- aspect of it, where it doesn't only just affect, you know, your your internal clock, but... It leads to other kind of issues like fatigue. Obviously, there's maybe cardiological issues that can arise from it. Um, we all, Like I said, we feel fatigued, you know, right after the time changes because our bodies are not used to it. So it takes some time for them to adjust. But people who work long hours, this can be harmful because it disrupts our circadian rhythms, our sleep, all our bi- biological systems. Um, and it's very harmful. You know, if someone falls asleep on the job, depending on what they do, it can it can lead to a lot of trouble. And it's a tricky argument because there's aspect where we enjoy the sunlight, but it's also risking our health and sleep. And I know the BC government is in favor of, you know, kind of keeping it, you know, the way it is and, and kind of just ending, you know, going back and forth. I know there's states like Oregon and Washington that are also doing the same. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in regards to that. My next topic um, isn't necessarily a major topic. This kind of stemmed from a discussion I had with a classmate a few days ago. So I was talking to a friend in class, and we had this conversation where they had a family dinner, 
and his parents didn't want to tip. And, you know, my friend, he kind of felt very uncomfortable, you know, because that's kind of the social norm where you, you tip for the service. And the parents didn't want to tip because the service wasn't good, according to them. Whereas, you know, my friend said it was perfectly fine. You know, the, the server was polite and, and brought us everything. So there was no real need to punish the server. And kind of brings up a good debate over whether, you know, you like tipping or not. And there's so many different perspectives that you can think of and kind of talk about when it comes to tipping. Because throughout the pandemic, people were ordering a lot more food from home. You know, they order takeout and and delivery. And we saw how, you know, certain restaurants kind of were kept alive by that. Where some restaurants just closed completely because they didn't have the facilities and, you know, the, the tools to do it. So certain restaurants, you know, in order to stay open, to stay, you know, a functional restaurant, had to just rely on people ordering takeout. And we saw that early stage of the pandemic, you know, May, June, where, you know, people, they wanted to eat something, yet they were scared to leave their home. So they ordered out and people tipped the restaurants and people tipped the delivery drivers because it was a way of showing their appreciation to them, you know, obviously to keep the restaurant open but to show appreciation for delivery drivers who worked extremely hard to get food, you know, in time and keeping it, you know, without spilling or without making a mess, keeping it, you know, as if you were eating in the restaurant. And the perspectives that a lot of people share is that, you know, you just tip because it's the right thing to do. You know, you tip, I don't know, 15, 20%, whatever the, the normal amount is. But... The perspective that another classmate shared is that in certain cultures, you don't tip. It's it's very odd that we do tipping here because you don't necessarily tip the the cooks, right? You're tipping the ones who bring your food to you, who hold your food for maybe about five seconds and bring you your food and ask you if everything's okay. But I feel like restaurants do, in fact, reward their cooks for, you know, their hard work in in other kinds of tips that are accumulated by the restaurant owners and there's another odd perspective you know why do we just tip you know food and beverage you know you tip your bartender you tip your server whatever but we don't tip other industries you know we don't tip you know our our delivery men and women we don't tip nurses we don't tip teachers right like where does that factor in But another thing that might be, you know, more relevant to us is that it really depends on how many people are eating and how big the bill is. Because like my friend said, it was a family dinner, it was a birthday, so the dad picked up the bill and it was a pretty big bill because it had everybody in the family, uh, in the immediate family at least, plus his girlfriend. So it was a big bill and when you add on a tip it's a, it's a pretty big amount whether you do the 10% 15 or 20 um whereas if you're in a group of friends and you're picking up your own bill right if i'm picking up mine and you're picking up your your own if your bill comes to i don't know 20 to 50 dollars you can afford to add a tip because if you eat in a restaurant i assume you have enough money to just pay a little bit extra for rewarding good, good service. Um, so I understand that perspective that my friend's parents had where, 
you know, they felt the service wasn't, you know, the best and it didn't require a tip. But the family members felt that it was not the right thing to do and to put a tip. Um, and it kind of led to this awkward conversation. So it is something that a lot of people kind of debate. Uh, I think a lot of people are kind of over this whole tipping culture. But I feel like it is the right thing to do to reward people for their hard work because... I've worked in, you know, in culinary and in fast food situations where I know just how hard it can be at times. And I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking for for all, you know, cooks and stuff, but I know that there is a lot of hard work that goes into preparing people's food. And sometimes there are issues that arise with, with making the orders. Sometimes you forget that it's a special order, that there's an allergy or something. So when servers get the order correct and they make sure that something is observed and made the right way, I appreciate that and I want to show my gratitude. So I will tip. And I think a lot more stores and restaurants are adding this tipping function where even if you're ordering takeout and you're you're paying with a card, it it offers you an option to tip. And a lot of people just kind of bypass that and just go straight to paying uh, and choosing, you know, which method of payment. So it does become a little bit bit of an issue where we're not wanting to tip as much as we did in the past. And you got to consider, you know, how many people you're paying for, how big your order is. Maybe your service wasn't good. Maybe you had a server that was extremely rude to you and you don't feel like that extra money is, is worth it going to them. But I think that's a really good discussion that you know, me and my friend had, we had a lot of good uh, points and kind of counter arguments. So I think that's something that maybe you might want to take into consideration or maybe bring up with a friend or family member uh, to see what they think about tipping. Um, but that's pretty much been my discussions for this segment. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something from it. Feel free to suggest more rapid fire questions or if you have anything you want to talk about completely on its own. Let me know and I'll get that in future episodes. But that's been the Bull Choice of the Week. I'll be back right after this. All right, as we have come to the end of yet another episode, I just want to thank you so much for your support. Taking time to listen and spread the word, it really does a lot of good. And I really appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please let me know, as always, uh, what you want me to talk about in future episodes. There's a lot of things happening in our world, both good and bad. Things happening in our country, in our community, in sports, and pop culture. There's a whole lot. So if there's anything that captures your interest or you just want to hear my perspective on, let me know and I'll get those in future episodes. Be sure to follow all our social media pages. We're on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. I haven't been as active in the last few weeks. I've been busy with school and work, but I'll be more active on those uh, as soon as my semester comes to an end and I have a little bit more free time. I'm not paid to say this, but... If you haven't watched Survivor yet, this might be the time to do so because I'll be reminding you every week. Um, It's a great show. I I highly suggest that you watch it. I've talked about it quite a few times uh, since I've started this podcast. So it must be a good show for you to watch. And that's about it. So to end it off, be sure to spread love everywhere you go and in everything you do. Until next time, take care, everyone. (laughs) 